Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He just published a new edition of his book, and the book is titled The Converging Apostasy, a collection of thematic critiques. His name is Stephen Montgomery, last name spelled M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y, and I'll have a link to the show note, link to his book in the show notes. And I've read through the book, really interesting. A lot of things that I was curious about and didn't really know much I've had of brief conversations about this kind of new doctrines. And actually, they claim to be a new church, kind of like Catholic Catholic and Orthodox, but it's called the New Apostolic Reformation. So we're going to talk about that. He has a, a chapter on that. But there are also inter- a lot of interesting research in this book. I read a lot, and I don't often come across somebody who's looked into The Order of Nine Angles, which I wrote that book, if you listen to my show, or uh, Global Death Cult. But he has a section on there. I just had an interview with somebody. We talked about Joseph Smith yesterday. Mm. People, Alice Bailey, I've done a show on the um, uh, convert uh, emergence of the hierarchy. What was it? I forgot the title yeah. of that book. But anyway, externalization, was, externalization of the you hierarchy. Have a better manner, a better memory than I do. The externalization of the hierarchy, which is very similar to Nazi doctrines. And also, he writes about Alistair Crowley. I've written a book about him too. But there's a lot in this book that I learned names that you may not have heard. I certainly didn't know much about uh, the Gnostic Valentinus or Jane Led, but it's lead up into present day Christianity and kind of things that have infiltrated in, but he can talk more about that. So Stephen Montgomery, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. And cool. uh, with your introduction there, uh, uh, you've already made me a fan. I, I was unaware of you <laughs> until very recently. And so it sounds like you've done a lot of shows that I'd really be interested in checking out. Um, yeah, I, yeah, please talk about your background, maybe, Stephen. People haven't heard your name and kind of your research. I know that you were formerly a teacher and kind of in uh, this environment, maybe a firsthand experience. And uh, maybe you can talk about what led up to writing The Converging Apostasy. Right. Well, um, I, I grew up in the Houston area and became a teacher, uh, lit teacher in social studies, which is, you know, it's essentially history. Uh, but I also uh, have been playing uh, jazz music in the Houston area for, uh, it's been about 35 years now. I got an early start. And so I'm a, a guitar player and, and a bass player. Um, how I got interested in some of the topics that led to writing this book, uh, about 1985, uh, somewhere around there, I uh, decided to go up to, uh, to Boston and uh, at that time, there was uh, more guitar players per capita in Boston than any other place and almost in the, in the world, but definitely in the United States. So I went up there as a, as a young guitarist and got sucked into a group, which most people would call a cult. And it was called the Lord's Gathering. And that particular group uh, focused on the teachings of Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, and some other folks that had similar teachings back at that time. So uh, I think it was uh, uh, an overall negative experience. I don't think it was bad as some of the other cults in some ways. Uh, you've had a, a person on recently, uh, John Collins, and his his group would definitely yes. be a little bit more. That's a little bit uh, more strict environment, uh, more uh, thought reform uh, occurred in that group than in mine. But upon leaving the group that I was in, I just did a private investigation trying to find out, okay, what in the world 
were these ideas? Where do they come from? Um, is there any rhyme or reason, or is just a random group that developed the ideas that we had? So that led me to uh, some information, pro and con, about uh, what was referred to as the Ladder Rain movement of 1948. So in 1948, some folks that were seeking more of God, in their words, uh, began to pray and fast. They were deeply influenced by William Branham and also by Franklin Hall. Franklin Hall had a book called The At uh, Atomic Power Through Prayer, uh, and that came out just prior to the to latter rain. And William Branham was uh, traveling around and rubbing elbows with folks like Jim Jones and others, and he had a big impact on the latter rain revival. So, uh, as I learned about that, that movement, I began to run into people that were so-called considered extremists, but yet were still at the same time uh, accepted somewhat in the group, <clears throat> excuse me, in the movement. And those folks, um, as I began to read uh, their literature and, and do interviews with uh, people that who had apparently been influenced by them, uh, some amazing things came to light. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, what came to light were ideas uh, that were really much more comfortable, you could say, much more accustomed to being able to find them in what you know scholars would call Western esotericism. Uh, in my book, I just say the esoteric world, but it means about the same thing. So what are some of those beliefs? Some of the beliefs are uh, really one of the central ideas is that there's a path, a pathway for humans to find deification while on earth. And so, <laughs> so that, that idea has surfaced all through history, you know, in various groups. But this group had some cohesion. It wasn't just one uh, person claiming to be the second coming of Christ. No, this was a movement and they also believed in the restoration. They thought that the office of apostle and the office of prophet had been lost to the church. And lo and behold, they had revived it and restored it. So um, naturally, apostles had more authority than some other people. Prophets had more insights and revelations from God than other people. And some of the revelations they got, besides this deification, uh, which really fit uh, hand and glove with the idea of being a prophet, is they believed in ongoing revelation. So what does that mean? Ongoing revelation, uh, this, this term is really of no significance to somebody if they're not a Christian. But for Christians that see the Bible as sort of, uh, it's set. It's the canon of scripture that's been agreed upon and uh, ideas or other texts are really not acceptable into basic usual christianity right there's like the regular corpus the canon and then the apocrypha right so Absolutely. there's like lesser bunch of writings but we all kind of have a standard canon canon maybe the ethiopian church includes enoch or something like that but yeah there's an accepted canon right absolutely and and so so the groups uh that i looked at and the leaders uh we're, we're coming up with ideas that were outside of that canon. And uh, through further research, uh, it really it really pinpointed uh, the, the research I was doing towards 
a particular Gnostic named Valentinus. And so Valentinus was a second century Gnostic. And uh, anybody who's tried to learn about Gnosticism, uh, there's a, a Gnosticism 101 that you, you hear on the internet sometimes and <clears throat> excuse me, Texas weather. And uh, Gnosticism 101 goes like this. Well, the Gnostics believe the material world is evil and the spiritual world is good. And as you read on, you really don't find too much more than that. Gnosticism um, that, that I think has been, has been analyzed and, and seen uh, more for what it is, you have to pretty much look at what do esoteric folks, what are their takeaways from Valentinus? Okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you four things, or three or four main things. Uh, one fits the, the latter rain folks of 1948, generally speaking, and that is that there's a pathway to becoming divine. So for Valentinus, uh, he, he said a very interesting thing that doesn't sound like it's in line with anything that most people would say is Christian. Uh, but he said, uh, first off, there's secret knowledge called gnosis. So it's like, uh, you know, kind of a little hidden uh, information that they were on to and other people are not. But, uh, but the pathway to deification, he said, was by receiving, uh, he gave different terms for it, the light, your angel. Uh, and uh, your personal bridegroom. So this was kind of his his worldview and his otherly worldview was that you had a spiritual uh, partner in the heavens and to become complete, sinless, divine, you had to bodily receive that partner. And therefore in this lifetime, you would become divine. All right, so you can see that that can come in with some... Uh, some disastrous repercussions, one being that uh, before before this uh, podcast uh, began, began uh, William, William and I were talking about Alice Bailey, who is an esotericist, uh, and she taught about the externalization of the hierarchy, which I'll mention a little bit more later. But through her writings, you can get the same idea that there's there's going to be in the future sometime a uh, kind of almost like a mass migration from uh, the angelic world into the, the, the waiting bodies of those who are going to be divine or made divine. Okay, so getting back, <laughs> and there's so many directions to take this, and let me get back to what I think about uh, Probably one of the more crucial spots in in the research I did is is uh, Jane Lee. Okay, so I mentioned the folks, uh, which were mostly Assembly God's folks up in uh, Canada, who got the Latter Rain movement starting. They were thinking this would be the last end time revival that would usher in uh, the second coming of Christ. So lo and behold, four, maybe more, but four that I have identified and it. A couple of scholars have identified also. I'm not a scholar, but some people that I know have identified four folks um, that were prophets in the latter rain movement, and yet they plagiarized and borrowed, sometimes gave acknowledgement, but rarely did, uh, to the writings of a 17th century mystic and prophetess, so-called, 
Uh, her name was Jane Lead. Lead. It's spelled differently uh, depending on who you're reading. Sometimes it has an E at the end, sometimes not. Okay, and the big question there is, so what? Well, the so what is that prior to uh, gathering these these ideas from Jane Lead, uh, you could say, you know, like uh, evangelical Christianity, uh, pretty much, pretty much left alone the so-called end times, which is the term for that is eschatology. They left that alone and left that in the hands of God, uh, meaning the providence of God. Anything that would happen, say, such as the kingdom of God being established, uh, the, the unfortunate definite thing that, that's in the scripture, but the judgment day, uh, all of these things would happen at the hands of Jesus angels, God, something like that, at the second coming, including what is in the scripture referring to the glorification of uh, believers. And there's scriptures that talk about uh, this mortal must put on immortal. Uh, when we see him, we will be like him. Uh, we will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye, etc. There's many scriptures that right. say those things. So what happens really... Uh, Takes it really gets gets a like a snowball effect once they accept this central doctrine. And I'll tell you what it is. They say that all things in the Bible from now to the end will be accomplished in, through, and with the corporate body of Christ, meaning set aside uh, elite believers here on earth. Now. Where are you running to? So, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Stephen. So that's different than the Bible, which is things will happen in the heavens or God will make that thing. So yeah. this is almost like a form of dominionism, right? Where it's like your involvement in bringing on this uh, eschatological worldview is important, right? So it's kind of different than, I would say, pretty orthodox Christian ideas. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. And actually, I would reverse the coin and say... This isn't like dominionism. dominionism. Dominionism is like this because there's a definite there's a definite road that you can trace. I give I give you a couple of uh, uh, quotes I've got here. Okay, cool. Okay, so let me see. Uh, yeah, they they all talk about Christ is held in the heavens. Okay, this is a big emphasis that you you get from. Uh, people in the New Apostolic Reformation, that's current day uh, movement that uh, that reflects a lot of these beliefs. Uh, well, let's go to Bill Hammond. Bill Hammond is considered uh, one of the major prophets in the New Apostolic Reformation. When I did a personal interview with him, he told me that dominion will be taken through the corporate body of Christ before Jesus comes in his personal body. There's an a fellow that passed away a couple of years ago, Earl Polk, was straight up considered a dominionist, but he was also, a lot of people didn't know this, but he was also an associate of Bill Hammond's. And so here's a direct quote from, uh, from Earl Polk. The elite will become, quote, so glorified that they can bring Christ back to earth. And the reverse of that is that Christ cannot, will not, is not allowed to come back until so-called the body of Christ is, has uh, been glorified. 
But 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 an amendment to that or an addendum is that it's not just glorified. That's the perfectionism. It's it's that they must take dominion of all things. Now that's more of the old-fashioned talk. They've kind of wised up and figured that sounds a little bit uh, controversial. So they have uh, uh, C. Uh, C. Peter Wagner uh, was pretty much the head apostle of the the new apostolic reformation. And so he started talking about the seven mountains, which some of your listeners may understand that seven mountains just really says we're going to take dominion of every aspect of society. So it's, it's kind of doled out in seven different steps, including the military, the arts, politics, education. Okay. It's almost like a Gramsci, like a communist Gramsci, but Christian, (laughs) right? It's kind of like that. Instead, they're going to battle it out with the communists for control of everything, of all facets of uh, human existence. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we've heard from uh, Bill Hammond, and he is, uh, you know, right up in in the in the and like prophetic status of, of the New Apostolic Reformation. Then we've got Earl Polk, which I just quoted. Now, let's see, three hundred years approximately before that, or is it three? Yeah, about three hundred years. Here's what Jane Leeds said. It sounds like she's being quoted by these other fellows. She said, Christ is held in the heavens. Ooh, heard that one before. Only qualified souls will be able to hasten his coming. They will be actively bringing heaven down upon the earth before his own distinct appearance. Now, there's another uh, NAR prophet uh, named uh, Rick Joyner. Yeah. yeah, and he said he says pretty much the same thing. Uh, he's he's actually got a book devoted to that topic, as does Earl Polk. Uh, and his his the title of his book was uh, "Christ is Held in the Heavens," if I'm not mistaken. But the the content was purely on that matter. So <laughs> to kind of go back and just recap from Jane Lead. Uh, we're getting the meaningless ideas. She's got the perfectionist angle. And literally, this is this is one that that uh, that I nailed it because not because I'm some genius or something, but because I was in the right place at the right time. And I did kind of uh I guess kind of a I guess it was unethical in a way, but I, I felt I felt like it was the proper thing to do at the time. That was that I interviewed a lot of folks that had these perspectives, but I sort of pretended like I was an insider. So I took on I took on some of the the, the language and the key phrases and their their tilt on certain scriptures, the people that they revered, like say Franklin Hall, William Branham, others. And by doing that, I think I really got folks to spill the beans quite a lot. Interesting. And that's so, one of the elements of the NAR is they don't come right out and say, we're a new apostolic reformation. Sometimes no, they it's, don't. It's concealed by like a five-fold church or there's a, some other name, seed church. So you won't drive down the street and see like a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church or a new apostolic reformation. So it's something, even that, the fact that they won't kind of put their brand out to the public, to me is something telling. It's like, we got a secret interior Yep. doctrines, but we're not scared. You know, it's an esoteric right. element, right? That's the whole thing yes. of the book. It's like, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you you hit something right on the head there, William, is because 
because I was noticing the fact that, you know, how far you went back in history, say 1948, the 80s, uh, that was when a lot of people called it the kingdom message. You had the restorationist, restorationist, can't get that out on my tongue today, uh, but they're on the West Coast. Uh, and then finally, you get the, the folks with the current day uh, New Apostolic Reformation. Why I don't worry about those labels so much is because I came up with my own label. I coined a phrase, which uh, ex-literature teachers will do sometimes. Uh, I call it hands-on eschatology. And I ran this by uh, a buddy, I'd say, well, not a, a real buddy, but uh, an acquaintance that I know who, who is a scholar who knows about all this stuff. And she says, yep, that's a good way to put it. So I said, okay, I'll roll with it. Here's what I mean by hands-on eschatology. If the elite group of the church, those called out and separate and sanctified and anointed, if those folks are going to be in control of eschatology of the end times, and all things that are going to happen on earth will be in, through, and within before an individual called Christ is allowed to return, then you get the hands-on, in other words, we're going to accomplish all this, of one, taking dominion, two, becoming perfect in some sense of the word. They hem and haw about that too sometimes. Complete, perfect, whatever. Better than the rest, is essentially. And finally, we get to something that I did get them to cough up the, the real stuff, uh, which uh, there's a lot of ways to describe it. It's really disgusting. However, it's true. And I'll lay it out like this. If you look at scriptures and you find anything that has any reference to, say, uh, separating the sheep from the goats, uh, there will be uh, an angel who throws forth their sickle and the blood will flow from the, the, the wine press of God. Thrown into these, the lake of fire. Right? Yep. All of that, they say, will occur in and through their ministry. And I think it's time to quote Mr. Hammond because he was really something to that one. Yeah. Okay, these, are so, very, these are very recent. So you're drawing a line from Valentinus through uh, lead or lead through this latter reign of, sorry to interrupt, but the, yeah. the interview that I did last week was John Andrew Collins yeah. and his book, Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham. Oh, it's and good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's so. good stuff. You got to get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so John and I have communicated many times and uh, he's, he's such a great researcher. He, he goes for uh, really, really the details uh, of the history, how this uh, converged with this, who said this, where they get it from. And so we discussed a lot of that. Since I'm doing what uh, I call thematic critiques, I do have the historical aspect to a certain degree, but I'm more looking at, um, did this fellow teach the same idea about deification that this one did? Did this fellow teach the same idea about taking dominion politically as this one did? And uh, did they rever the same prophets that said this? So if they all taught the same sort of uh, hands-on eschatology, then we have that common bond. So here's, here's what Bill Hammond says. And, and the, the, like I said, the, uh, the head apostle of the, of the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, C. Peter Wagner, referred to Hammond 
as a prophet and said that Haman was, I guess you'd say, I can't quote him exactly, but sort of like the guiding uh, dynamic force for the NAR as far as theology. Well, let's see what the, what the theology comes out of this guy. Okay, so he says, I, I interviewed, I'm going to ask him, is it true that the sons of God will have the ministry of literally physically removing the ungodly and those members of the church who are not uh, getting with the end time uh, spirit, uh, the end time uh, revelations that will be coming? He, he gave a yes, heads up on that. And then he answered like this. I'm, I'm really uh, reducing this just for time's sake. But he said, in part, I say death is death. Any way you look at it, whether you cut their heads off, whether you speak the word of ju judgment, however you wipe them out. <laughs> and he gave a little sound like that. It's wipe out any way you look at it. I put an explanation point because you can't hear him like I did. That statement's kind of ingrained and seared on my brain. I remember the way he said it. But check this out. This, this is worse. If he's supposedly in any way, fashion, or whatever, a prophet of God, listen to what he says. He says the only ones that can come into this judgment ministry are those who come into perfect love. So in other words... Uh, physically removing people through death, and he gives the scriptural references to back that up, uh, is a form of, of perfect love. And uh, now let's go to one of the folks from the Latter Rain movement who directly referenced Jane League. This is a fellow named Royal Cronquist. Royal actually promotes Bill Hammond's books. Uh, I have not located uh, any time where they got together, talked, went together to a conference. Not sure about that yet, but here's what Royal says. He says the elite will establish the theocratic order and government of the kingdom, and then God's vengeful, vengeful ones will remove the disobedient and ungodly from the face of earth. They will be, quote, physically killed. Okay, so what 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 is really weird? Okay, that's a that's a fellow who was around doing his preaching from say the fifties on up to about nineteen ninety five when he uh, passed away. That's Royal. But if you're watching on YouTube right now or Rockman, you can see a picture of Bill Heyman. Oh yeah, H A M O N. So yeah. that's him, and he was very active member of the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. Well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see the list of names. Uh, Claims to be a prophet for 60 years, so he's endorsed himself as a prophet. Absolutely. And uh, how, how to bring that home? Well, there, there's so many angles to bring that home. Uh, I, let, me, let me just mention another fellow that was uh, has direct, um, you don't have to guess, you can just read his literature, which are read piles and piles of this stuff. Uh, but if you read his literature, uh, another uh, so-called prophet was Bill Britton. He was kind of more in, 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 the, uh, in the background. He would travel, uh, give lectures to his, uh, you know, sell his books, and, and he influenced quite a, quite a few people. But for sure, he could be documented to, uh, uh, to have been influenced by, uh, by Jane Lee. And uh, 
I, I got this seconded uh, by Dr. Bridget Jacobs and her uh, research. She's actually an XNR person, uh, but she's a scholar and has written extensively about these issues. Uh, she can be Googled. You might, might find some of her works. Um, but uh, let me see. Yeah, Bill Britton. Bill Britton told, uh, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. Kelly Varner was uh, an associate of Bill Britton's. Bill Britton definitely was inspired by, uh, by Jane Lead. And uh, he says uh, that before we talk judgment, we have to come into perfect love. So here, here again, this very bizarre idea that uh, a precursor to killing people is uh, that we're going to have this level of, of perfect love where we're doing it just for God and so on. Uh, oh, and then Varner says he references a portion of scripture that uh, that another Jane Lead inspired person named George Houghton did. George Houghton was actually the head apostle of the Latter Rain movement. I know this is a lot of information. It's like you have to have a schematic to follow it. But George Houghton, being Jane Lead inspired, he says the same thing that Varner says. And this is, it says, kill without showing pity or compassion and slaughter the old men, the young men and women, the mothers and children. He says that that is something yet to be fulfilled. So that's two important leaders of this movement taking an Old Testament scripture, which uh, is, you know, it's a doozy to try to interpret it anyway. Uh, a lot of people have a little bit of trouble with it. But they they kind of spiritualize it and say, "Ooh, this is uh, this is one of those deep revelations that the prophet prophets are receiving that this actually is something to be uh, done in the future." Wow. William, so William, they they use sorry to interrupt, yeah. Stephen, but it's that Amalek quote, right? Go and kill them all. Like mm. even Netanyahu quoted and referenced Amalek. That's out of yeah. Samuel. So like these Ooh. guys are re referencing that too. Is that what you're saying? Are those yes? That, Okay, wow. I did yes. a whole show on like is Amalek. The title of it was Is Amalek in the Room? Like they're they're applying this old testament scripture to present day. Wow. See, I didn't know that. You call Absolutely. it a purge in the book, too. Yeah. Yeah, I just call it the sacred purge because again, it's um uh, you can go back to folks like uh you know the uh the, the Gnostic uh, Valentinus. His is a little bit more uh, it's a little bit more uh I don't know if opaque is the right word, but the way he words it, at the first time I ran into any teachings of his or expl explanations of his analysis of his teachings, um, scholars would say, you know, it's like in a universalism, everybody gets saved, the, the angels come and inhabit all bodies. And then I ran into the writings of another scholar, uh, April Deconic, that's D-E and then the capital C, Deconic. And she's written several uh, papers and and works about uh, Valentinus and other other folks from those that time frame, and she makes it very clear that uh, yeah he had he had writings that said those who don't become joined to the angels will be so called destroyed. Now, if you get in the Bible and you see they are destroyed, it's definitely a synonym for killed. I mean, it's not. Oh man, you're destroyed. You don't have your job anymore. I feel so destroyed. No, it's more like you're gone. You know, that's it. 
And so, uh, yeah, you can get that from Valentinus also. But uh, here's, I know we're weaving from this to that, but here's something that's right in front of me. I'll go ahead and read. Here's back to Jane Lead. Ooh, here's what I got to tell you. I see Jane Lead as a focal point for this reason. Jane Lead in the 17th century uh, drew upon all kinds of esoteric sources much of which can go back to uh, the the ideas can go back to uh, Valentinus. What are some of those ideas? Well, some of them that are not related to what we're talking about the second, but one would be uh, she got all of revelations through visions of, of a goddess. She called her the great goddess Sophia. Sophia also being translated as wisdom. Uh, but so she, it's all Gnostic, she, uh, right? Gnostic. Yeah, well, she absolutely. If you and that's where if you get into learning anything about Valentinus, you'll get the Sophia uh, angle because that's a real big one. And here's here's something that'll blow your mind. I know I'm jumping from another point, but in the Bible, um, when you look at anything that has something to do with, uh, you know, like war in heaven, and um, Lucifer gets kicked out because he's too proud and and some of the you know, like a third of the angels follow him and so on becoming the the so-called fallen angels well when you look at that in valentinus's writings it is very very clear that that's sophia in other words it's like a, a wow. androgynous being who's lucifer and uh sophia and many people yeah this is like meat and potatoes in the esoteric world uh, they'll tell you, they'll tell you, oh yeah, you know, uh, Sophia is the true Lucifer. I've heard that a gazillion times. And Alice Bailey, uh, she doesn't talk really about Sophia too much, but she has the same idea as does uh, Madame Blavatsky before her, that uh, Lucifer is uh, been railed against and he's actually our savior and God is right. the so-called demiurge and he's the bad guy and right. you got to get free of him. So yeah, so, so Lee, refers back to Sophia as the, the one who's given her all these revelations. So here's here's one of the things that Leed says. Um, just like William Branham and the NAR prophet Bill Hammond, Leed says that the elite will be able to do as Peter did with Ananias and Sapphira in the same manner will these wow. things be manifest again. Now, if you don't know what she's talking about there, uh, uh, William, I heard you say, wow. So I think you probably know. I do know. I can give you a little bit of time to have a sip of water. So that's the story of when Peter, uh, in, I don't can't remember which, I think it must've been Acts was at the time it was, they were going to pool all of the belongings together mm. and everybody share everything equally. And these two people were caught out. And I think Peter says, how did the Satan tempt you. I don't remember exactly yeah. verbatim what he says. And those are the two women. And so he puts, they die and um, he commands some uh, younger men in the, in the group there, the early Christians to take their bodies out and bury them. So yep. they gave up the ghost right there. So Peter had that power. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so again, just like George Houghton and Kelly Varner, who I mentioned earlier, who are kind of in this path of uh, influence from George, uh, from uh, Jane Lead, they're saying that, and William Branham, yeah, they're saying, uh, and Bill Hammond, they're saying that this will happen again. Now, uh, do we have to worry that people will 
uh, literally be empowered to do these things. I think that's not my main point when I wrote about this. My main point is what happens when you have people that are expecting to be the elite, that are expecting to work very hard to get dominion of however much of society they can, and who are expecting that there will be a judgment day carried out in which they will be the ones that administer it. So that's where, and, and I quote a, a um, Dr. Uh, oh boy, I'm going to miss, miss his first name here. Um, Dr. Lifton, uh, you, you can easily right. Stephen, I think it's Stephen J. Lifton. Is he, he always has been working <clears throat> on cults and course of it's, control, psychological stuff. It, the J is correct. The Stephen is okay. not. Stephen Hassan okay. is probably who you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Maybe I think it's, uh, I just can't recall. Robert J. Lifton? There you go. Robert. Now, Robert J. Lifton has a very interesting idea, which he says many movements like this become, I guess you could say for another word, antsy. And they say, well, where, where's all this stuff that God promised? Where's the judgment day? So we can take over and rule and reign for Christ. Um, and he says um, that they uh, they desire to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to forget what he said, but essentially just boils down to um, they will enact the end. And so which, right. I, which is what I'm talking about, having uh, hands-on uh, eschatology. So, you know, he's he's a psychologist. I forgot, is it like uh, Harvard or Yale? Somewhere he teaches that. He's Cornell, studying... New York. He's the author of tons <clears throat> of books. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. here's a couple more things from Jane Lead. And those are your folks, uh, your listeners, that uh, know anything about uh, the NAR. I've heard some of those those folks preach. Here's what she said back in the 1700, in the 17th century, rather. The kingdom of God in his saints will overtop all the kingdoms of the earth. Sounds familiar. I just say she set precedence. That's the way I put it. Upon their shoulders, the government of his kingdom is to rest. All shall be forced to acknowledge these anointed ones. They will eat the riches of the Gentiles that belong to them as the royal seed and offspring of Sophia. Sophia sees, therefore, that it is expedient that the holy warriors here on earth join the heavenly armies in order to be invincibly empowered to take vengeance on those who believe not the gospel of the kingdom. Therefore, the heavenly armies will join the holy warriors on the earth to take vengeance on all of those who have usurped the dominion, the kingdom, and whose right it is in the saints to reign. Then they shall smite on this hand and the other hand. Now, if anybody's read in the Bible, being smitten or, be, you know, to smite is, is a pretty decisive thing, which means you're probably not going to make it out on the other edge. But you see there that uh, what I say is she, she set precedence. So in the fact that she set these precedents and in the fact that I'll just read the name so you make sure you got them for sure. Okay. In the fact that she uh, is direct, directly referenced and her teachings are used by George Houghton, the original apostle of the latter rain movement, Bill Britton, uh, one of the latter rain's main prophets, Royal Cronquist, 
and J. Preston Eby or Eby, spelled E-B-Y. Uh, I've read just mountains of all those guys' writings, and yeah, sure enough, her name comes up. With the exception of Bill Britton, the ideas, he's like totally plagiarizing her ideas, even down to this uh, heavenly army. He calls it God's two armies, and they will come into union. That's kind of raises an eyebrow, I would think. Um, but the other way I got it from him was through um, the scholar I was mentioning. Uh, she confirmed this, Dr. Bridget Jacobs. Um, she said, yes, in her research, all of these fellows were teaching uh, Jane Lee's teachings. I called uh, Bill Britton's daughter, who continues his ministry of handing out his booklets and tapes and so on. And she says, yeah, Jane Lee, that sounds familiar. And she looked up something. It was called A Prophecy from Out of the Past. And it was incorrectly dated uh, 1719. It was actually written in 1790. Uh, excuse me. It's written in 1769. Okay, so, but there it is. I mean, she goes, yeah, yeah, that does sound familiar. I remember my dad taught him that and had a booklet about it. Uh, so what does all this mean? There's even a bigger picture. And that is to draw back from this and and look at the unfortunate situation, which, re, I mean, your listeners have to take this as they want to take it. But uh, if you look at the rise of, say, uh, authoritarian or fascist-leaning governments throughout history, there are certain things that kind of get in place first. And uh, there's been more than one author who has said, for example, how, how do democracies die? Uh, what things have to be in place? For example, what was in place for the Third Reich to become the Third Reich? Right, right. You know, there's there's this perfect storm of things that occur, but a lot of times you can also find uh, the doctrines and the ideologies behind the true believers. And, you know, there's numerous people in the Third Reich who would fit that 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 deal. But if you read uh, Blavatsky's writings in the uh, late 1800s, if you read Alice Bailey's writings thoroughly, uh, you'll find that both both of them, being esotericists, lay out everything that came down in the Third Reich, down to, down to the fact that the Jews uh, are, are no good, we have to do something about it. Blavatsky talked about the holiness of the uh, of the Syrians, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's all, all there. The, the whole blueprint, externalization of the hierarchy is Nazi ideology. It, it it's not even like influence. It's like a carbon copy the Nazis did it. It's incredible. Yeah, like, and I tell don't you, realize it. Yeah, I'll tell you something that I came to realization about that, which um, which is kind of a mind blower, and I I had to deal with this for a while and say, now wait a minute, do I have this straight? But if you look at the the way. Uh, the way that uh, the Laterone, Laterone folks talked about the so-called manifestation of the sons of God, that's from Romans 8 in the Bible. If you look at that and compare it to the externalization of the spiritual hierarchy, as stated by Alice Bailey, they essentially mean the same thing. One's coming from uh, biblical reference, and the other is coming from an esoteric perspective. Now, here's what I found out. At first, analyzing uh, folks that were teaching about the manifestation of the sons of God, it seemed kind of pie in the sky, like, we're going to pray real hard. We're going to wait for this to happen. 
God will some somehow make us uh, divine, essentially rulers uh, as the manifest sons of God. But then I found people, say like J. Preston Eby, Royal Cronquist, and others, who literally say the same thing that Valentina says. They say that they will have to turn over their bodies to uh, to what what in Scripture is called the great cloud of witnesses. And these spirits, these perfect spirits, will then perfect them jointly. And so in my book, I call this a symbiotic relationship, you know, which means each profits from it. I think I can get you a a good quote on that one. Uh, Yeah, please do. And I've got a couple questions for you, too. Like, how influential do you think all these names you've listed, Houghton, Eddie, Britton, Copeland, Hagen, Hammond, how big are their flocks, do you think? Well, it's a trickle-down factor. And in my book, (coughs) excuse me. I talk about the relative uh, obscurity of some of these folks in the latter rain movement. Uh, I mean, the, the hardcore ones that say some of the stuff I'm talking about, because not everybody in the latter rain movement says all this stuff. But everybody who does say this stuff seems to have come from the latter rain movement. So it's a trickle down thing. And then by the time you get to the kingdom message in the 80s, you have people that are truly and documentably. Um, influenced by folks like Bill Britton, et cetera. And I'm speaking now of, say, somebody like Earl Polk, John and Jimenez, people like this. And the congregations grow exponentially. So Polk had a congregation of about 10,000 at its peak. Uh, the Jimenezes there in Virginia Beach, Virginia, had, uh, I think it went to four or 5,000 at its peak. Now, that's that's getting bigger. But when you take those folks, And some of them, like Bill Hammond, who truly has his feet uh, in the earlier teachings of the latter rain. If you take those current day folks, now we're talking about mega churches. Do the average folks that walk in the door at a mega church and and do the praise and worship services with everybody, do they know of all this? No. But what I would say is it's more of like an onion uh, that's rotten. And the deeper you go in, you get the real core, the hardcore stuff, the really negative stuff. But the fact that you're on the outer edges means you're still part of the onion, uh, which is still rotten. And uh, it can suck you into the core at any time. But let me let me sh- uh, throw this one at you. <clears throat> okay. So <clears throat> this is this is to show the uh, um, the deification part. George Houghton, as inspired by the latter, by uh, Jane Lee, he says the sons of God become the son of God. Bill Britton, his body is Christ. After the sons of God finish his work, they go to the bridal tent, tent, that's straight from Valentinus, where they will be, where there will be a union in him like they've never known before. Wait a minute. You mean he didn't, he didn't get that from Lee? Yes, he did. Listen to what she says. The elite will be set apart for some new fan of manifestation of union that we can barely hint at. So it's like uh, he's she's almost uh, uh, Bill Britton's almost uh, doing a uh, uh, he's paraphrasing her works. And and then if you get to Royal Cronquist, check this out, because this is more in line with uh, with Valentinian stuff. You have kept on asking me whereby, he's all highfalutin in his terminology, whereby you might be made perfect. Here's the answer. We, meaning the great 
cloud of witnesses up in the heavenlies. We will take up our abode and tabernacle within you. We will fully incarnate ourselves within your spirits, hearts, souls, minds, and bodies. Only then will we, capital W, be glorified. George Houghton says it this way. The great cloud of witnesses wait for wait for the time when both they and us are made perfect together, symbiotic. They are to join those who still walk the earth because they without us and our bodies, I would put in parentheses, cannot be made perfect. So where did they get this outlandish idea? Jane Lee says, the great cloud of witnesses are the spirits that will make bodies to become all divine. They will be sent to take up bodies, which are the bodily vehicles of chosen vehicles. They shall each become a Christ. And then she kind of parrots her, her, her critics. She says, how do they leave, become a Christ? When she says, when virgin spirits descend and enter into holy souls that are prepared, by descending into corporal beings, they will make that which is earthly, heavenly, and made manifest in corporalities, meaning here in the flesh. Now, I can tell you one thing about Copeland. He's sort of a, a sidetrack to this. Here's how he's, he's uh, joined in to an extent. Okay. Because, because there's such a big, big cry for unity, I uh, hope I don't step on too many toes, but, you know, you get into... Uh, don't worry about it. That's, that's <laughs> step on All right. Well, so you, you get the let's make America great again. You also get the let's make America great for God again. And there's a big cry for unity. So you have people like Copeland and the folks in uh, that are in his uh, realm of influence. Folks like him were not uh, originally any part of the uh, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation. That's a more current, a more recent thing. But now I've seen examples and others who've read about this and researched examples of him trying to work with the leadership of folks in the New Apostolic Reformation. Mm -hmm. That's where you have people rub elbows, like say, Cindy Jacobs. Uh, she's a prophetess and she's right under, she's like an underling to Bill Hammond. Cindy, Cindy Jacobs works um, with other folks like uh, Jim Gall and Dutch Sheets and uh, uh, who did I mention earlier? Uh, uh, Bill Johnson. Uh, uh, there's several others that have the, the mega churches uh, that those, and, and you know, some, some of us that are doing research on this will, yeah, that one. <laughs> there she is. Uh, some of us that do research on this will say, well, if this prophet was so uh, anointed of God and so discerning, why would they let somebody like Bill Hammond in the front door, given what he believes and what he preaches? If he told me this stuff straight off, you know, through the telephone, and some of it is uh, by way of principle and precedent, it's present in his writings. He, how could they? How could they really? claim that he's a prophet. Kind of the same thing that people might ask is that how did the great prophet William Branham not realize by God's spirit who in fact Jim Jones was and where that was all going to end up? Because he totally did not get it and he promoted Jim Jones. So you get the same thing. These guys uh, 
if they were ever Christians, I mean, that's for God to figure out. But what they're doing is is not is not good, and it's not Christian at all. Right. It's like infiltrated. It's esotericism, even occultism. I mean, you could even go as far as, as so far as label it that. I think you were soft on it. I mean, I think that esoteric is a kinder word, but I mean, some of this is not from it's not from the canon. It's not from the Bible at all. Did you ever find any connection to Joel Osteen? Because when I talked with uh, John Collins, he said that some of yeah. his research traced Branham to Osteen. Yeah, it was his daddy mostly, and I think John said that. I agree. Uh, being in the Houston area where that uh, that church is located, right. uh, I had a friend who was kind of uh, one foot in the one foot in the water, one out, and trying to decide if he was going to go along with that kind of teaching. And I said, "Well, listen, I'm going to go. We'll sit in the back of of uh, of the church, and I'll just take notes, and we can talk about it later." And then I I helped the guy not get involved in that in that group, but. Uh, here, here's something. Okay, something that it, that it, it's just a matter of time, really, William, that I didn't go into. But uh, there's so many of the people, and I would I would give Royal Cronquist and Jay Preston Eby as prime examples, cult leaders like John Robert Stevens, who because of one, the fact that they were considered an end time prophet, two. The idea that revelations from God are never ending, they keep going, then yes, they do get into the teachings that are, you can call it a cult, you can call it esoteric, you can call it new age. Uh, they're, they're introducing those same teachings. So um, where did I see that? Uh, I had that right in front of me, I was going to tell you. Uh, uh, uh. The, uh, yeah, so there's... Yeah, there's just a lot there. And you also, you mentioned in your book, one thing that I, I found interesting is you think that these, some of these types of teachers that this esoteric ideas of infiltrating are using trans-inducing techniques, altered states of consciousness and things like that, right? Yes, like I do. I'm, I'm not the only one that does. Um, people are kind of like, you know, like my, my buddy that had one foot in, one out. Uh, he would say, yeah, but the praise and worship services are so... Uh, uplifting, yada yada, and so on. Well, uh, here, here's the here's the lowdown on that. Well, I can speak from my personal experience on this. Um, when I was in the group that I was in, uh, I was about 19, 20 years old at the time, and they practiced uh, what I didn't know at the time, but what I found out later was so-called restored um, Davidic uh, praise and worship. That was restored, supposedly, by the latter rain movement. Uh, they supposedly restored many things. But one of them was the laying on of hands to give spiritual gifts. Another was apostles and prophets. They would lay hands on somebody and, and say, uh, you know, thus saith the Lord, you are now a prophet of God. I commission you to do yada, yada. Uh, but another thing supposedly restored was the form of uh, what many current-day charismatics do, uh, when they praise and worship God. Uh, this is unfortunate because praise and worship to God should be sincere and from the heart and not a manipulated or contrived thing. I can tell you from my experience, and this this may be something that some folks listening don't go for it at all, but uh, from my experience and what I observed uh, having come out of that group and what I've observed in tons and tons of other groups is this 
Um, if you can make a major component of your worship in private and your worship in the church, speaking in tongues, singing in tongues, praying in tongues, if you can make that a major component, and another big if, if the gift of uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the, quote, evidence of speaking in tongues, if that is a learned, contrived uh, experience, then what you have is essentially the same thing as somebody sitting in front of a mandala and chanting over and over and over. And I can throw this in as a little tidbit on that one, and then people can think about it, reflect upon it as they will. Um, in my experience, there were never, ever anybody who spoke in tongues in French, in Latin, in Russian, Swahili. No, it was always explained as, oh, well, that's, uh, you can't understand because that's a heavenly language, like an angelic language. Right. And so, but, but why, why are all the heavenly, supposedly heavenly angelic languages sounding like pseudo-Aramaic, pseudo-Hebrew? Uh, you won't find any of them don't. And uh, my experience with it was, uh, as a young man, I said, well, yeah, sure, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's so-called more of God. Think about it, Christians. You want more? Didn't Jesus say it is finished? Okay, that can go up to debate. But uh, So I was told, though, um, well, God knows your heart. Just, just leap out with faith. Just say something. Really? So God needs help to make this language get started? Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the early uh, so-called Lateran brethren, Ern Baxter, um, who uh, he traveled with William Branham, uh, and John Collins can tell you more about this, but he was he was told, uh, just leap out by faith and begin, just begin singing, and and the Spirit of God will take over. So he just started saying Alleluia, Alleluia, and trying to put a tune to it. And uh, what it, I'm a musician, so I, I know I know the kind of songs that do. Uh, if if you're a musician, um, singing in the spirit is almost universally uh, major pentatonic scale. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. so and major pentatonic pentatonic scale, you hear it from uh, like uh, American Indian music. Uh, most primitive societies have some form of music played on flutes or other instruments that is major pentatonic scale. And they also have a drone, like in uh, what they call classic Indian music, you know, like Ravi Shankar kind of stuff, George Harrison right. stuff. And the drone is sort of hypnotic. And so, yeah, if you add that, that's a long-winded explanation, but if you add that to uh, not sleeping well, speaking in tongues a lot, closing your eyes, swaying back and forth and having repetitive music, then sure, it can affect your way of uh, right it's almost it's like almost a pagan trance inducing thing these guys are doing it yeah i mean it's not uh it's an altered state of consciousness there's no question and yeah. it's it's allowed it's become part of like the christian church um but it's also is nar only associated with pentecostalism or is it i mean they claim to be their own new church right i mean what is their what's their position like are they just uh, infiltrators of pentecostalism that's a good question. In the original uh, Latter Rain and the, the so-called Manifest Sons of God Ministries, it was purely a, uh, 
a, a Pentecostal phenomenon. And so most of the leaders got booted out, uh, defrocked. Uh, Bill Brown was defrocked from the uh, Assemblies of God uh, denomination. Now, uh, yeah, your question is a good one. Nowadays, um, uh, the links to the earlier stuff and the influences that are now present, um, they can show up in, in, say, like a denominational church that has, uh, what do you call, like, say, a, a, a contemporary service, you know, something like that, which almost all of them do nowadays. You go to a Baptist church, Presbyterian, Methodist church, and they usually have an earlier service that is uh, pretty much doing ladder ring style worship and but usually in a lighter fashion and uh, there'll be more openness to the books and the music because I've played bass in some of the worship services. Uh, I'll say, so where'd you get this from? And they'd say, well, we got it from Bethel. Ooh, Bethel. That's a, that's a, uh, a NAR group. And, oh. uh, uh, and it's, pro and it's, it's clear And Bethel, you know, like people like, uh, Bill Hammond, who I referenced, he'll, he'll show up there. Jake, Cindy Jacob shows up there in good standing. They come up and share the pulpit. And so, yeah. And um, the thing I, I was trying to find, and I see it in front of me here. Okay, the thing about ongoing revelations is you get this You get this from, um, from Jane Lead, and then it shows up verbatim and the other manifest sons of God folks that showed up in the 1940, late 1940s. Jane said, new and fresh things will be revealed to faithful seekers. Mm. Let none, therefore, presume to set bounds since the spirit of revelation is never to cease. Now, she says, don't even limit yourself to the scriptures. And the children of the divine mysteries will receive new and fresh springs of revelation, and so on and so on. So. This is why, William, you asked that thing about do, um, you know, am I, am I being easy on them like for a cult? No, because through this concept of ongoing revelations, uh, it's just, it's just amazing to watch because you can almost predict, I call it, I, I have words for that in my book, but you can, it's like a trajectory. It's a scripturally defined trajectory that these false doctrines follow. And, um, uh, so uh, this is why you have, okay, I remember John did, did a, good, uh, a good talk about uh, Christian identity. I can tell you that George Houghton, uh, let me see, the guy I mentioned earlier, um, J. Preston Eby, and also Royal Cronquist, all those guys, Bill, Bill Britton, I haven't found it. It may be there, but I haven't found it yet. Those three guys that are directly influenced by Jane Lead have directly made their way into racist teachings. Some of them worse than others. Uh, uh, they, there's a there's a common concept. They they say that there's uh, <clears throat> it's almost like calling non-whites the the mud people. Uh, they see George Houghton sent me when I was uh, co corresponding with him. He had sent me a track called uh, Negro, uh, the Living Creature. And in this short booklet, he he uh, tries to prove that uh, they were a pre-Adamic race, uh, meaning and that they were just kind of like beast of the field was one of his references, and that they were created to serve the white man. And wow. so, well, you can see where that kind of stuff can go. 
that's that's directly from George Houghton, the, the leader of the Lateran movement. So did all of the people believe that? No, not, of course not. But but he and others have made their way into these areas. And that leads right. to something that I referenced earlier is there literally is a document which I found through an ex-New Age person. And it's called um, uh, the Neo-Pentecostals and their amazing New Age teachings. It was written from an esotericist who you can easily call him a Luciferian because he's a follower of Alice Bailey, who clearly said Lucifer is the right one and the God of the Christians is kind of messed up. Okay, so that short booklet um, talks about Bill Britton and a couple of his works, and it talks about George Warner, who I haven't mentioned, but was also influenced by Jane Lee. So it talks about them, but it doesn't say anything negative. On the contrary, it says these guys are catching on. They're starting to be like us folks on the other side of the track. We got to kind of get with them, encourage them, learn about what they're teaching because uh, there's so much to say, William, but there's there's a three-pronged attack on, on the nature of mankind, if you want to put it, that came straight from Valentinus. Uh, I won't name the, the way he named them, but there's uh, the top dogs. They're going to be in uh, direct union with their angel. They'll be perfected and uh, will live on. There's the middle ones. They're sort of Christians that just don't quite get it yet. And then there's the lower rank. They will be destroyed. Okay, you get three rankings with all the sons of God. And how do they do it? Through the tabernacles teaching. You get the uh, the uh, feast of of uh, Passover, that's for forgiveness of sins. You get the uh, the feast of uh, uh, Pentecost, and that's the supposed uh, type or shadow for uh, the Pentecostal experience of speaking in tongues. They all say that there's a third upcoming, which is essentially deifying third experience, the Feast of Tabernacles. What does it mean to tabernacle? Well, according to all these folks, it means to have some other entity tabernacle with you inhabit to and make you divine. And so again, I would I would defer to psychologists or anybody who'd say, what would what would people possibly do if a large number of them felt that they they were about to or did indeed become infused divinely uh, connected with these spirits in order to one, uh, rule and reign with Christ, two, take dominion of the earth, and three, um, engage in the sacred purge. I think if you look at the the attack on the Capitol of uh, January 6th, and, you know, if you look at that, um, there's some folks that I know who've documented uh, the presence of uh, the NAR folks. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Why do you think they were there? Uh, I can well, only guess. Because Dominion, right? Dominion. Yeah. yeah. It's the Dominion aspect of it. And here's... Here's here's what folks like Cindy Jacobs and, and the, the more current folks, uh, not not necessarily Bill Hammond, they say this as far as the purge, they kind of twist that around and they'll say it. Well, you got to be careful, you know, because Christians might rise up and have a civil war here if it doesn't get better. This right. this this country's going down the tubes. We're gonna we're gonna have to do something, and you can directly hear that from um, uh, from Rick Joyner. He, he said in a, in a message of his 
that true patriots and uh, followers of, of Christ and true Christians need to be gathering up guns. And the interviewer said, well, why? And he says, because uh, the election was stolen. We just can't handle that. We're going to have to have a civil war about that. You see? So if you trace it all the way back, again, you get precedence for that hands-on eschatology uh, where you're in charge of everything and God can just sit by and watch uh, watch the show. Watch the show. Not party. God is in control. We're yeah. in control of doing what we think God means and so we're going to implement it. Um, Steve, we are at the past the hour mark. Do you have time for a few questions? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have uh, Sand and CS? Any thoughts on Paul Kane? Are you familiar with Paul Kane? Paul Kane, yeah. I don't have loads of thoughts on him, except that I can tell you uh, that Paul was directly influenced um, not only by the latter rain, but by the, uh, what I would say, virulent uh, manifest sons of God doctrines. And so I've seen quotations of him where he, he's saying that uh, uh, we shouldn't be concerned about where he's coming from because, uh, well, the coming of Christ will be from us, in us, again, to that, uh, that hands-on uh, eschatology. Gotcha. And uh, Tolkien asked, what, what is this whole Billy Graham have like some part in all of these ideas? I, I can't really comment on that, other than my mother used to sing for Billy Graham's <laughs> chorus. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. But uh, I mean, obviously, there's there's large. He's he was a mover and a shaker and an influencer. Um, but I think he would just be considered like conservative um, Christian evangel evangelist. And other than that, I, I can't really comment. Gotcha. And where's the best place for people to get the converging apostasy? Well, they can they can go to Amazon.com and under books, and uh, there's uh, there's actually two. There's a converging apostasy, a collection of thematic critiques. That's on the Kindle ebook, and if they want the paperback, um, I can't remember, but it was something with uh, with Amazon Books that they wanted me to relabel it. So I just mm -hmm. made it shorter and just said the converging apostasy. My name is Stephen, but it's spelled with a PH, you know, like in the Bible. So mm -hmm. you can find it uh, through those two uh, links. And then, like I and said, a, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to finish up. Go well, ahead. Uh, there, there's uh, because these two uh, books are, are very long and uh, I kind of act like a handbook, uh, maybe even I, I say right up there, they're, they're um, repetitive because I want to drive from certain points in different contexts. Uh, I'm coming from a backwards direction and I'm going to be making a primer for those two, which will probably be like 70 pages. It's not going to have a lot of explanation. It's just going to be direct quotes. Uh, deification, this one said this. Uh, sacred purge, this person said this. And and you would still see the uh, commonalities in all these fellows. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You could throw in Bailey, Blavatsky, Crowley, ONA, the sacred purge ideas, which are all over the place. There was like a sacred purge element in Mormonism. Joseph Smith had this kind of group of Danites or whatever went out and did this. Oh, the yeah. Yeah, I've heard the Danites. Yep. yep. Yeah, so there, I mean, it's there. It really is there and it's not, it's not at the front of the church. You might not hear it in a, uh, in a you know, a sermon or something like that, but these people need to know about this stuff and the infiltration. I would say that Gnosticism 
Christianity and its doctrines were in conflict and with Gnosticism from the beginning, you know. I don't yeah. think it's ever really gone away. So it's kind of one of those things everybody who's a Christian, even a non-Christian, should be aware of these teachings and all that stuff. Because all that stuff goes back from the past. It's all taking place right in front of your face. There's tons of Gnostic ideas around you that's kind of transhumanism and you know, God is the enemy and all that stuff. It's really I great. agree. But uh Stephen, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Great talk and, and congrats on the book. I really recommend people check out this book because I think your historical approach leading up to the present is really important and uh, help people kind of realize, hey, maybe I'm not in the right place with some of these ideas. These are yeah. non-biblical ideas. And again, the title of the book is The Converging Apostasy, a collection of thematic critiques and the author is Stephen Montgomery, M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y, and I will put a link to the book in the show notes. So thank you so much for the book and your time. Thank you very much, William. All right, take care. See you. All right. See you.